0: Welcome to Daybreak Africa for the Voice of America. I'm James Party in Washington. Today is Tuesday, March 14. And here are some of the stories we are covering. The opposition in the DRC demands the departure of UN peacekeepers. We are
1: asking everybody that the Eastern African community should leave Congo. We cannot have people fighting against Congo, disturbing Congo, and you bring them
0: to establish peace no way a look at some of the key races in this saturday's governorship elections in nigeria Botswana, and zimbabwe plan to discuss eliminating the use of passports namibia moves closer to having its first female president south sudan's international partners speak out on the sacking of the defense minister
2: the partners wish to once again encourage renewed focus by all signatories to the revitalized peace agreement as outlined in the roadmap for its full and timely implementation.
0: And a Malawi court allows and kids to fight for their rights. Those stories and more are coming up on Daybreak Africa. The main opposition in the Democratic Republic of Congo says the U.N. mission there, MONUSCO, appears to have lost its ability to ensure peace in parts of the country. Martin Fayulu, who leads the Engagement for Citizenship and Development Party, met with officials of the U.N. mission in the capital, Kinshasa, to express his concerns. It followed a recent demonstration by opposition groups denouncing what the protesters say is the ongoing aggression by external forces. The criticism follows reports that at least 300,000 Congolese citizens have been displaced due to continuing conflict in the eastern part of the country. Opposition leader is Peter Clotte that on oh. their country's territory from external he said
1: that we have to demonstrate to the whole world that uh, Nobody can come and take part of our Congo because we think that what is going on in the eastern part of Congo is the Rwanda who is disturbing Congolese. We are asking everybody that the Eastern African community should leave Congo. We cannot have people fighting against Congo, disturbing Congo, and you bring them to establish peace. No way. we want the u.n to put in place a stronger robust mission in the congo to establish peace not to maintain but to establish peace because today we don't have peace was the objective of the demonstration achieved yeah 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 the objective was achieved because people are wake up everybody has understood that uh, we have to be united we need Congo as one and the, our brothers and sisters living in eastern part, they have seen that everywhere is uh, concerned about the issue that occurred in the uh, eastern part of Congo. It's not only in the east, but all Congolese are suffering. And this uh, unity of Congolese, this is what we want. We want one nation, one Congo, and for that we have achieved that uh, objective did you petition the un office about some of these concerns you've raised and about how you think they should change things and improve and ensure peace returns to congo we met with uh, the un people in uh, congo the security council team last friday we met with them and we told them that uh, they have to do um, whatever they can to, first of all, send away the FDLR guys, the Rwandese guy, the refugee, they have to send them out of Congo. This is the first thing. The second thing, they have to uh, redesign the MONUSCO, the UN mission in Congo. Not the mission to maintain peace, but they have to have a strong mission to establish peace in Congo because right now we don't have it. And we discussed with them and uh, I think that uh, they've uh, understood because today Monusco is almost useless. Some opponents are saying that you should rather concentrate on mobilizing your party for the elections in December rather than leading protests to what they say, disturb the government just to make yourself feel relevant yeah but uh, you am not leading i 'm leading people i 'm not leading uh, the guy in the bush or animals in the bush i 'm leading people and the Congolese have been killing killed and uh, cannot just concentrate on the election and uh, let the issue of the eastern part continue to go without solution when I ran for the uh, the presidency I said that i will... Uh, try my best to finish that war of eastern part
0: that was democratic republic of congo opposition leader martin fayulu speaking with viewers peter clotti from kinshasa nigeria's rescheduled governorship and state assembly elections will take place this saturday march 18. In all, 28 of the country's 36 states will be electing governors. Currently, the ruling All-Progressive Congress Party has governors in 21 states, while the Opposition People's Democratic Party has 14. President-elect Tinubu was once the governor of Lagos State, Nigeria's commercial capital, but he lost the state to the Labour Party's Peter Obi during the February 25 presidential elections. Obi's candidate is challenging the ABC's incumbent governor of Lagos state kabiru mato is a professor of political science at the university of abuja he tells me that tinubu cannot afford to lose lagos again because that would weaken his presidency
3: Governors are very critical in Nigerian politics because they are the heads of the federation units. In Nigerian federal system, the states are the federation units that are recognized by the constitution. There is also the local government level, but the main federating unit, so it's very critical who provides the leadership of the state within the Nigerian federation. That's why every political party tries to control most states. And I think if you look at the just-concluded presidential election, that's also a clear indication of the advantage of APC-721 state governments, finding it a little easier
0: to deal a decisive blow on the opposition party. For president-elect Bola Tinubo, how important are Saturday's gubernatorial elections? It's going to be very important
3: because every president will want to see that his political party is dominant in the administration of states. It helps in giving the federal authorities the necessary cooperation that they require uh, to have their policies down the throats of Nigerian people. The more you have governors and you are the center, the more your program is able to palliate. This is not to say that governors that are not in your political party, by any major disrespect, you know, they don't. Well, definitely. Yantinubu we will need at least a majority of states within the Federation of 36 states to be uh, won by his party, of APC.
0: Professor, President-elect Tinubu is the former governor of Lagos State, but he lost the state yeah. to Peter Obi in the February 25 presidential election. How important is Lagos State? Well, let me first of all start by saying the
3: fact that the Labour Party can go to Lagos State, which undoubtedly is a southwestern state, at least a Yoruba state, and defeat the official candidate of the state there and save a lot. It says a lot in the sense that it is very challenging, especially to President Chinubu himself. And it clearly shows, therefore, that huge of the voting strength in Lagos uh, does not support the candidature of the president. But we know the parameters that are becoming a pattern of behavior, voting behavior during the presidential election. Uh, you could see that in many states where Peter Obi actually won the election, you find that the Labour Party did not take even a senatorial or House of representative seats. Uh, Let me give you an example of Ebony State. Ebony State is in the southeastern part of this country. Labour Party candidate, presidential election, Peter, will be won significantly, over 70% of the votes. But what happened? Three of the senators that were elected from Ebony State are from the APC. So, a definite pattern of electoral behavior was influenced by so many factors, fundamentally religion. A lot of people in the church have directed that this is a Christian Muslim battle. And as such, every Christian, only a responsibility to vote for the Christian candidate. So, basically, this is the scenario as it is playing now. And uh, I believe that going forward, we'll have to try and make sure the mandate is translated into the goodwill for all, every Nigerian person.
0: Before I let you go, Professor, is there a woman candidate in this uh, governance race?
3: Yes, there is a woman
0: candidate in this
3: government. Says. She is a uh, senator at, at the moment, Senator Binani. She is from State in northeastern Nigeria. She is the only person that is engaging the people of Adamawa to make history by electing the first female governor in Nigeria.
0: Kabiru Manto is a professor of political science at the University of Abuja. You are speaking with us from Abuja. South Sudan's international and regional partners are calling on the signatories to the 2018 peace agreement to exert more energy into implementing it. The call comes after President Salva Kiir and First Vice President Riyak Mashar held a meeting last Friday to resolve a dispute over the firing of the defense minister. However, nothing was resolved in the meeting. For VOA News, Waki Simon Wudu reports from the capital, Juba. The United Nations Mission in South Sudan or UNMISS, the
4: African Union Mission in South Sudan and the Intergovernmental Authority on Development or IGAT all say today welcomed Friday's meeting between President Kir and First Vice President Riak Machar. The Friday's meeting was held in attempts to resolve the dispute over Kir's decision to fire Defence Minister Angelina Tenney of the SPLMIO, a move described by SPLMIO party officials and other observers as a violation of the peace deal. And Ms. Spokesperson Linda Tom says regional and international actors want to see the parties increase their momentum in implementing the peace deal.
2: Well, the government has clearly stated that there would be no more extensions of the timelines. So this year is critical for achieving all outstanding benchmarks for the timely implementation of the roadmap. Tom
4: says the special representative of the U.N. Secretary-General in South Sudan, Nicholas Hasem, has noted the limited progress made during the last period of the implementation of the peace deal, as well as some slippages.
2: The partners wish to once again encourage renewed focus by all signatories to the revitalized peace agreement, as outlined in the roadmap, for its full and timely implementation.
4: Tom says while the actors have reiterated their full support for the efforts of all stakeholders and the leaders of South Sudan towards the success of the peace process and the completion of the roadmap, they want to see progress in areas that have lagged behind schedule.
2: The AU mission, IGAD and UNMIS, encouraged the parties to maintain collegial collaboration, continuous consultations, and consensus building in the letter and spirit of the revitalized agreement.
4: Eddie Kani, Executive Director of the Community Empowerment for Progress Organization, called on the regional and international partners to redouble their efforts in working with KIR and Machar to finish the job and end the political stalemate. Because this political stalemate offer a huge threat to the lifespan of the roadmap. At the same time, it's causing panic among the citizens. At the same time, also it's making citizens to question that our leaders are not interested in putting peace and stability as a priority. CARE's decision to fire Angelina Tenney and swap control of the Defence and Interior Ministries created tension, especially in Juba, over the past week. Policy analysts have warned the move may lead to a collapse of the peace deal if not carefully handled. The Revitalized Joint Monitoring and Evaluation Commission, or RGMEC, the body tasked with the overseeing implementation of the peace agreement, said in a statement last week that if the two principles cannot resolve the stalemate, they should refer to RGEMEC as stipulated in the peace deal. While Arjamek did not condemn Kir's decision, it said the implementation of the deal with less than 24 months of the extended transitional period remaining, it is important that this dispute be resolved as soon as possible so that the peace agreement can continue to be implemented in a timely manner. For VOA News, Mwaki Simon do in Juba.
0: You are listening to Daybreak Africa on The Voice of America. I am James Butte in Washington. Today is Tuesday, March 14. For more African news and features, visit our website at voaafrica.com. Connect with us on all social media platforms. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Namibia moved yet another step closer over the weekend to having its first female president when President Haj Gingob endorsed Netumbo Nandi Ndaetwa as the lone candidate for the ruling SWAPO party in the 2024 presidential elections. The president urged the party to support her. SWAPO elected Ndetua last November as vice president. She was already serving as deputy prime minister. Phil Yanagola is executive director of Namibia Rights. He tells me Ndetua's background has prepared her to lead the country. It is
5: uh, the lawful thing to do in the first place. And uh, it is uh, very good news for Namibia for
0: peace and stability and eventually for our national security. So what does that mean for Nditwa? Do you think she's ready for the job? Yes, indeed. She has been ready. She has a very
5: wide experience. She was part and parcel of the liberation struggle uh, that took place about 33 years ago. She has been a senior cabinet minister. She has been vice president for SWAPO at least for the last uh, five years. She has a wide experience
0: and she is really, really up to the job. We know that President Ginga is stepping down because he has served two terms. Tell us something about Namibia democracy, the maturity of Namibian democracy.
6: It is
5: indeed uh, the maturity and still maturing. Remember, we've been only independent for uh, the last 33 years. But we were lucky to have uh, also gotten our independence about that time after the collapse uh, of, of the Soviet Union and the end of Cold War and uh, our constitution is such that uh, it is actually an international document founded upon the principles of a universal declaration of human Rights, so uh, guaranteeing uh, democracy the rule of law and justice for all so this was a very good start at least we have it on paper now we have to put it into practice, and the indications are we have been doing not so bad up to today.
0: Now, how is the ruling party doing? I mean, what are the chances for the ruling party in the coming election? I'm talking about SWAPO.
5: The chances for SWAPO looks uh, even better now after its image uh, was uh, bitterly tainted through allegations of corruption, an incident called Tshwane scandal, and uh, Netumbo Nandi Daitwa has uh, made it very clear that uh, corruption will not be tolerated, and that has somehow fired up the public. And you see a lot of people who have resigned from SWAPO and joined opposition parties are now returning. And uh, that is a clear indication that Swapo has a very good chance again to win the election
0: come 2024. Phil Yanangola is the executive director of Namibia Rights. He was speaking with us from the capital, Windhoek. The presidents of Botswana and Zimbabwe are to discuss scrapping passport requirements between their countries to allow for the easier flow of people and goods. Botswana reached a similar deal last month with Namibia, but some analysts are wary of extending the open border to Zimbabwe, which has a struggling economy and is the major source of illegal migration. Nkudise Dube, report from Habaruni, Botswana.
7: Addressing ruling party supporters over the weekend... President Mukwezi Masisi said he will soon meet his Zimbabwean counterpart Emerson Mnangagwa to discuss the
5: issue.
7: Masisi says, We are meeting very soon. I will engage Mnangagwa and tell him that we should pursue a similar arrangement like the one we have with Namibia. From there, he says, I will discuss the same issue with the Zambian president, referring to Hakainde Hichilema. Masisi says there is no reason for security concerns, as smart technology will be used at entry points. He says, don't think by opening borders will open for criminal elements. Criminals will be caught as we'll be using advanced technology. National security expert Pius Mkhware says while the move will benefit Bozona's economy, it could allow criminals to cross the 840-kilometer border undetected. We have to think twice.
3: In matters of security, the ID cards themselves they should be machine readable. Security features will ensure that the cards, the ID cards of either country, they are not forged. You know, anybody else cannot just forge it and then use it for other things.
7: Mukwari adds the
3: proposed border
7: arrangement could keep law enforcement agents vigilant.
3: Right now, what we are using to pick illegal immigrants is the passport, because we asked for the passport. The passport will definitely indicate when we came into Botswana and when we are expected to leave the country. Now, that element was not done for fun. It was done as a measure of security, because we have to control the people who are coming into the country.
7: The number of Zimbabweans living illegally in Botswana is not known, but a Zimbabwean government report last year said 47,000 Zimbabweans had left for Botswana over the past decade. South Africa-based economist Coles and Lovum says promoting the free movement of people within the region is key to posting trade. This is a very positive move by Botswana, which sends a very strong signal that Botswana is an outward-looking economy. It's progressive uh, if it continues to do so, very soon, Botswana will be the, the key economy in Africa, characterized by free trade, free movement of people, free movement of goods uh, and services. And these are the policies that, uh, that, that are long overdue. President Masisi's push to engage neighbors on opening up borders is in line with the African Union's Protocol on Free Movement of Persons. Mkondisi Dube, for VOA News, Habroni, Botswana.
0: A high court in Malawi has ruled against the government's order to stop a case in which Rastafarian children are suing the government over its education policy, which keeps them from enrolling in public primary schools wearing dreadlocks. Last month, the government wanted the case dismissed, arguing that there is no such policy. However, in her verdict, Judge Zione Untaba said the government's argument was shocking. Lamek Massina reports from Blantyre.
6: Malawi's Rastafarians have long been sidelined by a Ministry of Education policy requiring students to conform by cutting their hair. But many Rastafarian parents choose private schools while others give in and cut their children's dreadlocks. However, in 2020, two Rastafarian children obtained an injunction challenging the policy. Chikondi Chijozi is the lawyer representing them.
7: The problem is that we are denying the rest of our children access to education because uh, if they are not allowed to go to government schools and they don't have money, it means they cannot be educated because it's the duty of government to ensure that everyone has access to uh, to the right to education and if they are not allowed into government schools, it means it's a total denial of that right.
6: Josi said they applied for judicial review to establish whether the policy lawful or constitutional and whether the policy should be allowed in government schools. However, a few minutes before the first hearing of the case began last month, Attorney General Chakaka Nirenda asked the presiding judges to stop hearing the case, saying Malawi has no policy against dreadlocks and that government schools were making the decision to ban students on their own. Chijose says the government change of opinion on the matter was surprising. This matter came
7: to court in 2017 and we are here in 2023 where we are having the hearing. So in between, the Attorney General had acknowledged that indeed there was this practice happening and he had indicated to the claimants that would want to engage the ministry on this, that this should stop because it's not in line with the constitution. So it's quite strange that today they say no, there's no policy when they were actually engaging the ministry to stop that practice.
6: However, in her ruling Tuesday, On the government's preliminary objection, Judge Ntaba dismissed a government application to stop the case, saying the petition had come at a very late stage. Ntaba also said she was shocked by the carelessness of the Attorney General's office in handling the case, primarily when the claimants are children. Lamik Masina for VUE News, Blanta, Malawi.
0: And that's it for this Tuesday, March 14th edition of Daybreak Africa. We thank you for spending your morning with us. For more Africa news and features, visit our website at voaafrica.com. Connect with us on all social media platforms. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We are also on YouTube, where you can watch our TV shows, Africa 54, Straight Talk Africa, and Red Carpet. On behalf of the Daybreak Africa crew, I am James Barton.